This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Amen. Well, Sias just basically stole my whole sermon there in that article, basically. But uh, maybe just something that I want to start with. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see faces and not a camera or a car for a change. It's great to see everybody. Um, but just on that, uh, something, a, a picture that has come into my mind recently surrounding surrendering. As we're talking about surrendering now, obviously we all want to surrender more and more unto God. But oftentimes when we think about surrender, we almost think of a war situation where there's these two, uh, let's call it teams or nations or whatever, at odds with one another and they're at war and the one team or the one country overcomes the other one and generally then there's a white flag that's raised and you know you accept defeat and then you become a prisoner of war right and being a prisoner of war is not really something that you want to be right you don't want to be held captive in the other in the enemy's camp and sometimes what I what I think we do is we have this mindset when it comes to surrendering to God we surrender it, but we don't necessarily, we think, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a negative thing to surrender. It's like, now I'm held captive, now I have to do certain things. But I want us to maybe take a mind shift in when we think about surrender, that surrendering to God is like running with one flag and realizing that we're running with the wrong flag. We're running with our own flag, and we turn to Jesus, and we take his flag, and we run with his flag, because there is life and joy and peace. And that's what it means to surrender to God. And that's a bit what we're going to talk about today. And I've, and I've named the sermon a psalm of confidence. So as I said, we, we've had a child. Um, maybe some of you didn't know that because of lockdown. So just before lockdown, we actually had a child. And it's been six months. Our child is just over six months old. There she is. If you haven't seen her there at the back, that's Mia Beth and my wife. Um, beautiful little child, but as we as we were approaching the end of Nareen's pregnancy and we were expecting Meabeth to come at any moment, I had these expectations of what it would be like to be a parent, what it would be like to be a father. And six months later, all that I can say is that I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? <laughs> And, and, and on that note, let's, let's jump straight into the scripture because that's actually verse 1 of the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. It's eight verses, Psalm 121. Let's read together from verse 1. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And in this season that we've all went through, and us also having a child in that season as a other 
there's some other couples that have also had children. This peace has been such a comfort to me that the Lord will keep us, that the Lord will sustain us. The sun and the moon won't have its effect on us. He won't let our foot go astray. He will keep us from all evil. He will keep us in our going in and our going out. It's been such a, such a comfort to me. And this Psalm 121 forms part of a, a collection of Psalms that they call the Psalms of Ascent. And what the Psalms of Ascent basically are is... It wasn't intended, when it was written, it wasn't intended for this purpose, but the, the Hebrew and the Jewish people would take these seven or eight psalms and they would sing them as they would journey up the hill um, into the mountain um, country or the hill valleys, uh, hill country, of uh, going up to Jerusalem to worship. And these psalms would be songs of lament, songs of confidence, of thanksgiving, celebrating uh, heavenly Jerusalem, celebrating Zion, wisdom psalms, liturgical psalms. So it's like a mixed bag of stuff. Mixed bag of songs that the Hebrew and the Jewish people would sing to remind themselves of the goodness of God, of what God has done, of who they are in, in the light of God's promises as they would go up to Jerusalem to worship, worship. And what I want us to do today is to take this psalm as a parable or as a metaphor for our journey of faith. Because in that same sense, we come together here on a Sunday, we hear the word, we worship together, we pray together as we're on our way to God, as we're on our way to heavenly Jerusalem. And we do it together. Not alone, we do it together. So, the moment that we say no to the world and we say yes to God, obviously, all our problems are solved, right? All our questions are answered, our troubles are over, there's nothing that can disturb our peace with God and, our, and the peace in our souls that we have with God. We don't have accidents, you know, as Christians, we don't fight with our spouses or with our friends. Our children always obey us, right? And if any of these things had to happen, if we had to doubt or get angry, lose our temper, maybe if we had to feel lonely or depressed or even have an accident that maybe puts us in hospital, maybe disables us forever, then there's obviously something seriously wrong with our relationship with God. And if this is your view of Christianity, then I have great news for you, that you are wrong. I'm very happy to tell you that you are wrong. You see, I had an expectation of, you know, people told me what it would be like to be a father. Late nights, tantrums, feeding, diapers, still less sleep, less sleep. And it went in, but it went out the other ear, because, you know, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, so the pastor's child. She's going to be perfect. But the truth is that her diapers stink just as much and need to be changed as often as much and she sleeps just as little as any other baby. But in this journey I've learned, I've learned so much and I'm grateful that I was wrong about my expectation of what it would be like to be a parent. 
Sometimes it's really a good thing to be wrong. You know, there's, there's these moments, um, I, can, I can't even count how many times it's happened to me that, like, I'm trying to, specifically with like a lawnmower, now you need to replace the blade of the lawnmower after a while, and I'm trying to get it loose, I'm trying to get the blade off, and I'm trying my best. I've all the tricks in the book to get this nut loose to get the blade off, but it just doesn't want to budge at all. And you know, there's, there's order in this world. We know that a tap and a, and a bottle and a gas can, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, right? Except when it comes to stuff like a lawnmower, then it's lefty-tighty and righty-loosey. <laughs> but the moment that I realize that I'm turning this thing the wrong way, and I turn it the other way, oh, okay, it's actually easy to loosen it. Those are moments that I'm thankful that I'm wrong. It's moments that I'm thankful that I'm helped in the right direction, that I can actually move forward. And this is Psalm 121. It's showing us where we're wrong. It's showing us where we're maybe not getting it right, and it's helping us in the right direction. You see, we... We give our lives to God somewhere along the line, be it that at a, at a crusade or be it at a church service, someone preached one sermon, maybe you were in church for years and over time you came and there was conviction and you responded to God. You gave your life to God and you said yes to the finished work of Jesus on the cross that the blood will wash us clean of sin and unrighteousness and there's this joy that fills our hearts and we want to jump into the river of this life that is promised to us. And as we jump into the river, a few moments later, we come up with water in our noses and we're choking and we don't know what's going on and we're a little bit bewildered. Or we, embra- we, we embark on this highway of holiness. We say we're, we're on our way to God, only to find that there's a couple of obstacles and trials and tribulations in our way, and we trip over them and we fall and we graze our hands and our knees and our elbows, and all of a sudden we're looking up for help. We find that not everything is perfect once we give our life to God. Everything isn't just sorted. We don't just stop fighting with our spouse or have conflict with our friends or our children aren't just automatically obedient. Life is still life and we breathe the same air. We do the same work as everybody else in this world. And we find and and we're awakened to something different than what we expected. Very much like me with Mia Beth. I was awakened many times to something that I didn't expect. And what is, what is our immediate response is we, we look up and we look to, is there someone that can help me? Is there something that can help me? Is there something that can get me through this? And we get to verse 1, and I think this is what the psalmist is saying. I lift my eyes to the hills from where, my, from where does my help come? You see, as they embarked on this journey, it's not as if it was just plain sailing, you know, simple just to go up to the hill. You know, they didn't have shoes like we do. You know, they had real Jerusalem cruisers. Calfoot, barefoot, or just like little leather sandals. The road was tough. It wasn't free from its trials or its troubles. And what do we find in the hills? When we look, when, when, when we look up to the hills, 
in the psalm, what, what would the Hebrew and the Jewish people find when they looked up to the hills? Maybe they'd find nature and beauty. Maybe they'd find quiet and peace. But as they walked on this journey, what they would find, because Palestine was overrun with pagan worship at that time, and pagan worshipers would set up shrines and temples and idols on these hills on their way to Jerusalem. And this is what they would encounter. They would encounter these temples and these shrines. They would encounter priests and priestesses of the moon god and the sun goddess and prostitutes to these pagan gods. They would encounter these, these, these pagan worshippers trying to draw them in and lure them in to, 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 you know, by a ritual or a spell or an enchantment against the perils of the road. It's almost as if there would be a whispering in their ear to say, you know, are you, scared, are you scared of the sun's heat? Go to the priest, the sun priest, and go and make an offering there. Pay him for your safety against the sun. Or on the other hand, are you afraid of the perils of the night? Go to the moon priestess and buy an amulet from her because that amulet is going to keep you safe during the night. And they would be faced with this question, where does my help come from? Does it come from Baal? Does it come from the sun priest, the moon priest? Does it come from these things that I see around me that are offering quick and instant safety, satisfaction, comfort? And this is what we as disciples go through day by day. As we walk on this journey, our aim is to go to worship God and to get to God, to meet with Him. But we find ourselves meeting trials and tribulations. And we, we, cry, we, 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 and we cry out for help. And we look to the hills. Is my help going to come from the hills? And in verse 2 it says, no. No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help doesn't come from creation, creation, it comes from the Creator Himself. Verse 3 says, He, God, the Creator of the world, will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, Behold, He who keeps Israel will never sleep, neither sleep nor slumber. And this, these two verses have specifically been great, of great comfort to me in this time, knowing that God doesn't sleep. So when I'm not sleeping or Noreen isn't sleeping, then we can speak to him while we're feeding the baby or changing the diaper in the middle of the night. God isn't sleeping. Amen. You see, God isn't Baal. So Baal is one of the main pagan gods. And in, in 1 Kings, Elijah has this moment where he's almost sarcastic with the Baal prophets and he says, did Baal oversleep again that he wouldn't pitch? to perform for you. Because Baal was, this, this pagan god was known for um, his drunken sleep. So he would get drunk and, you know, in, in, get entangled in orgies and all these stuff. And that when people would come to make offerings and things unto him, that their prayers just wouldn't be answered. They wouldn't get relief or safety because Baal would be drunk and asleep. You see, that is not God. God doesn't sleep. He doesn't partake in orgies or in drunkenness. God is vigilant to care over his people. 
He cares for you and He cares for me. For us individually, but for us corporately. He will not let your foot, individual, be moved. He who keeps Israel corporately will not neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So I think I've made it pretty clear, and maybe your life also testifies, that the Christian life isn't easy. There's a, there's a prosperity gospel that says health, wealth, and riches, but there's also a prosperity gospel that says everything's going to be fine with you. You're never going to face trouble in this world. That's anti-biblical. The Bible is clear that you will face troubles in this world, but what the Bible is clear about is that God is with you in the trouble. So we know that the walk is not going to be easy. We know that there's going to be trials and tribulations on the road of faith. And we would agree, well, I'd hope we'd agree, that all of us sitting here would say, no, 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 don't look to the Baal prophets. Don't look to the sun god, god or the moon god. Don't look to the priests or the prostitutes. Don't look to these fake comforts that the hills that the world have to offer to you. And we would all agree, don't do that. If it were only that simple. So I've been wrestling with this for a while. Um, and, and I'm just going to be completely honest that I'm not perfect. CS isn't perfect. The people on the pastoral staff aren't perfect. Your district leader, your zone leader, your small group leader is not perfect. Your mother and your father is not perfect. And the trap that I, this is what I'd been struggling into is I was trying to ascribe to this perfection. I was trying to be perfect for the people around me. But the reality is that we're not perfect and our flesh is strong. Our flesh wages war against the spirit. Because in, in reality we would say, yes, don't look to the hills, don't look to the comforts that this world has to offer. But in reality, we find ourselves not only looking to them, but grabbing hold of them. We are not immune to it, but we find ourselves grabbing hold of these things. And you might be sitting there saying, you know, I, um, I don't go to the sun god. I don't go to the moon priestess or to Baal. I don't indulge with the prostitutes of pagan gods. But where do we find comfort, our protection, our safety? We find it in movies and in series. We find it in gambling and in porn. We find it in comparison, saying that at least I'm not sinning like this person. At least I'm not doing what that person does. We find our security and our safety in our insurance policies over our house, over our lives, over our cars. We find it in our investment accounts. And I'm not saying that these, like your insurance policy, or your, I'm not saying give it up. It's good things, it's good stewardship. But when we say that I don't need to trust God anymore because I have an insurance policy or because I've saved up for retirement, 
that's when there's something, that's when there's an issue in our hearts. See, I had a, I had a wake up call this week in my own life, and, and I hope you guys don't mind if I'm a little bit vulnerable. In the last while, I've really just been struggling in my, in my quiet time with God. Like I've been reading scripture and I've been praying and I've been worshiping. But it just, I feel empty. It feels like I've just had, I'm in a desert. You know, it feels like I've, my throat is dry. Even though I'm spending time with God and I know he's there. I know he's listening to my prayers. I know that he keeps me and that he's walking with me. But it just, you know, sometimes you just, it just doesn't feel like you're getting through to God. And this week I was just, I picked up my guitar to worship and I worshiped a couple of songs and, and as I was worshiping, I really started experiencing God's presence again. I was experiencing breakthrough. And I just felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, to put down my guitar mid-song. So for someone with a bit of OCD like me, it's difficult to, in the middle of the song to put down my guitar. I want to finish the song and then move on to the next thing. But I put down my guitar and I, and, and I went onto my knees and, the Lord, and I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, just listen. Don't pray, just listen. And as I was on my knees, I saw this picture of me sitting in sackcloth and ashes, a biblical picture, eh? Sitting in sackcloth and ashes and Jesus comes and he picks me up. And as he picked me up, this joy filled my heart as I was sitting there on my knees and I was like, yes, the Lord is taking me out of this dry season. And my, and my mind started running with just thanking God for, for everything that he had done and just like, and then I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit say, listen again. And I went and, and, and I was still sitting there with my eyes closed and, and the vision continued that the Lord picked me up Jesus picked me up out of the sackcloth and the ashes and, and he started leading me what seemed to be like the foyer of the throne room of God. And in this foyer were actors and act, act, yeah, so like actresses um, and people that played in series and uh, sports stars and social media posts. And I was walking with Jesus and I was like, Jesus, why, is, why, why are all these people here? What is all this stuff doing here? I'm here to meet with God. And he says that these are the things that you have been grabbing hold of and this is why you are dry. And my heart broke. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit came to reveal to me that I'd been slowly but surely just grabbing onto the comforts of the hills. That when I want peace, that when I want a little bit of comfort, when my day has been a bit busy, when my day has been a bit hectic and I, you know, like Mia Beth is crying and there's just, I get home, then I just sit down and instead of engaging with God, I just, I put on the TV or I go onto social media or I go play touches, or, but I don't engage with God because I've grabbed to the quick and the easy comforts of this world. And I believe that this is a word for the church. I believe that this is what we as the church have started to do. That as we're going, as we're walking unto God, as we're walking to worship Him and to praise Him, our intention is always to, to get to God, but we, it's so much easier just to veer off 
and to accept the quick comfort, the temporary protection. And we know that it's fleeting, but still we grab hold of it. So what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with this? This is why this psalm is so comforting and it instills a confidence in the people of God. We read verse 8. We remember that verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We remember that God will keep us. We confess our sins. We confess that we've been grabbing onto the temporary things of this world and we lay them down. You know, you see, it doesn't matter what happened in the past, that if you're sitting there now and you're saying, yes, that, that's where I am at. The Holy Spirit is convicting you that you are grabbing onto temporary things in this world. Then you can forget what is behind and you can strive to what is ahead. You can leave those temporary stuff and you can run to God because He will keep you. You can run to Him with everything that you have. And we reject the things of this world. We reject the things that are on the hills and we hold on to the promises of God. You see, we surrender. We surrender everything that we have. How, how sad would it be that as we're embarking on this journey to God, we realize that, okay, we slipped up. We realize that we've sinned. We've realized that we've gone off course. Only from that place to turn around and go back and not go to God. That would be a tragedy. And what the psalm is saying to us is that as we're walking, our eyes fixed on Jesus, our eyes fixed on God, to do His work, to praise Him, to worship Him, to be part of His kingdom. There's going to be things that are going to distract us. And our flesh might give in sometimes, but remember that God will keep you. God will not let your foot be put astray. God will protect you from the sun and the moon. He will protect you from all evil. Doesn't this instill a confidence to say, no, no, we're not going to turn around and go back to where we came from, but we're going to journey on to God. That's his invitation, that as we ascend the hill of the Lord, that we keep going, even though we've veered off left and right. And if there's one thing that you take away from today, from the message that I've shared with you guys, is fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Let the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and of His grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember that Jesus' body was broken for you to atone for your sin. His life was given. He laid down His life that we may have freedom from sin, that we may be cleansed from sin and all unrighteousness. And remember that Jesus is interceding for us. 
Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us that we would continue walking and running this race with endurance. God will keep us in every season. Would you stand? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.